This morning's scripture reading comes from 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. This verse can be found on page 1054 in the Pew Bible. That's 1 Timothy 3.15. But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here. We hope we can be an encouragement to you. Uh, It's good to be together as a church family. And Lord willing, we're going to have a lot of opportunities over the next seven or eight days to do that. And uh, we look so forward to that. As we think about things coming up, let me share with you just a few things to try to clarify, but I encourage you to be sure if you still are unaware of some of the things, there are brochures in the window seals as well as throughout the foyer. And then of course the postcard type size also has the times and places and all. So uh, don't forget to take advantage of that. But if there are things that are still unclear to you, be sure and let us know. We'd like to clarify that for you. As we think about some things, We see uh, things coming up Saturday that's listed here, and I failed to put a slide for Wednesday. So let me just quickly remind you or inform you, by Wednesday night, third floor will be a historical collection. And I know some of you, you would probably be able to walk through that in five minutes and say, wow, that was neat. And there would be others of you that are probably like, I'd like to spend an hour up here. And so what we're going to try to do is give you some extended time that for those of you that want to spend more time, we're going to open that up at six o'clock Wednesday evening. And so if you want to begin spending time there and then after those services, and then uh, we'll try to have it open, maybe some on Saturday and, and then definitely on Sunday all throughout the day. And you can look forward to that. A lot of work has gone to A lot of you have contributed things. Uh, there, there is even videos that have been taken and there'll be a media room there that you can listen in on those. And it's just really going to be neat. So Wednesday night, six o'clock, seven o'clock, we're going to take four prayers that have been prayed for the church. Uh, One of those prayers is a little bit of exception to that, but you'll see Wednesday night. Uh, But we want to spend some time letting various ones speak for about five minutes and then teaching us from Scripture about that prayer. And then one of our elders is going to pray that prayer. And, um, and, and that is how we're going to, in a sense, enter in, if you will, to this mindset of several days of homecoming and all that God has done for us. We want to be mindful and appreciative to God for all that he has done. Glory be to God in this. We hope that it edifies and encourages us as a church to draw closer to each other and closer to God. Here you see some activities for everybody on Saturday. We just want to give you a quick reminder uh, that we will have the picnic at the Charlie Daniels Park at noon, beginning at noon. You can come and go any time you'd like. There will be parking behind the Mount Juliet Middle School. There will be shuttles uh, running there as well as if you need handicapped parking inside, there will be even the stretched golf carts that we often have uh, that will help you get really close. So it should be convenient for everyone. Uh, at noon, you can enjoy the grilled hot dogs and the fixings around that. And then at one o'clock, there'll be a watermelon cutting. And at two o'clock, there will be Kona ice. 
And uh, so it should be a really good time. Some of you, though, will want to leave out a little bit early so that you can be here at three o'clock for singing. Uh, Several of our song leaders of the past that were full-time song leaders are going to be able to come back and each of them will lead a few songs. And we'll either be in the chapel is where you can first start looking. And if that seems to be too full, uh, we will be here in this room right here. And then the youth group reunion will begin at five o'clock. I need to clarify something very important that we completely went over our head in communication. If you grew up in here in Mount Juliet, you are invited to the youth group reunion. Uh, There are some people here that grew up before Bill Spate was the youth minister here. And and some of you are even peers with Bill or, or maybe a little bit even older than Bill. You're invited to come and and to be a part of Bill Spate's group. That group is going to be made up of his peers, of those that that he was with uh, as he was leading the youth group, and just anyone else that that predates that. And so just know that if you want to come to the youth, if you grew up here, you are invited to the youth group reunion. And uh, and you can read about all the details of all the other youth ministers. There's only one youth minister uh, that is not going to be able to make it back. And so uh, I'm telling you that to say you're youth minister is probably here. And so be looking forward to that. That'll go from five to eight. You can see details in the brochure. On Sunday, uh, if your mind's already thinking about what you're doing this afternoon, you really need to reel in for this, okay? Morning worship times will be different. 8.30 and 10.30. Bible class and worship will be combined. We'll have two speakers each service for 20 minutes. At the end of the first speaker's lesson, the kindergarten down will be dismissed to class and everybody else will remain here for the other 20-minute lesson. And so that's the agenda to keep from moving a large crowd and really wasn't even certain if we could fit in the classrooms and et cetera. Uh, That seemed like the best way to handle that. So keep in mind, 8.30 and 10.30 will be the times shortly after morning worship, uh, early morning worship, the lunch will begin underneath the tent here. So be aware of that. And of course, just you're welcome to stay and, and to be here for that. The homecoming program will begin at one. It'll last to about two o'clock because we will then go into a worship that lasts for about an hour. We'll give about a 10 or 15 minute break there for anyone that needs to use the restroom. It won't be a break like, hey, go up and see the historical. It'll just be a real quick if you need to get up for a minute. And then we will go into our afternoon worship that will begin at two o'clock and or 2.15, whatever the time is at that time. And, and then the day will be complete except for any visiting you want to do, seeing more of the historical uh, displays upstairs and etc. And very important announcement uh, for you guys in early service, for any of you that uh, can go ahead and go with a mindset that it still begins at 8 instead of really 8.30. On this next slide, you're going to see some extended parking spaces. Uh, we're asking all of our elders, deacons, and ministers to park at the train station. We have approval to park there, and we'll be shuttling back and forth. But any of you that are going to the 8 o'clock or 8.30 service, uh, if there are still openings at the train station, you're welcome to park there. But what we definitely need about 75 to 100 of you to do is park at the 2040 building. There's 75 marked parking spaces, but we own the grass all the way up to Division and Mount Juliet Road. We need you to park and fill in the grass. Hopefully we could get about 20 cars in the grass there. So hopefully we have about 100 cars up there and about 100 cars at the train station. And keep in mind, this group is not going to be leaving 
afterwards. You're staying for lunch. So when the 1030 crowd comes in, we need several hundred spots still open here for the 1030 crowd. So if you are coming in at 830 and you're like, well, there's parking everywhere. There should be. That doesn't mean come and take it. We need several hundred spots for the 1030 crowd to park also because we're going to have both groups that normally are not here at the same time except during Bible class here at the same time. So please keep that in mind and help in any way you can. And of course, if you need to park close, you're welcome. We'll have shuttles of buses and the golf carts running both uh, of those extended distances. And so it ought to work so far as there ought to be enough parking and it ought to be very convenient with, with the shuttles and etc. And then also we will have the simulcast available in the old auditorium as well as this auditorium. And so we think that we'll have very, very much sufficient space. When we're uh, looking back at, at just kind of a, a beginning point, if you will, to some things that were directly attached to, hey, homecomings coming and we really ought to get ready. The men's work day yesterday was just amazing. Uh, it was so much fun, so much laughter, but so much uh, really productive work. If any of you have not ridden by the Creekside uh, on your way out or your way in, you really ought to do it. If, if you can see in that picture, I know it's hard to tell in that picture, but you can, you're actually looking at the creek back there. We had one guy say, I have been here in this congregation for 40 years and I have never seen that creek till today. And uh, another one, and said, I didn't realize it was that wide. So uh, enjoy uh, the uh, work that has been done. You can't imagine the loads that were taken off from that. A lot of shrubs were trimmed. There's pressure washing that was done. And we want to say a big thank you to our two leaders. We're thankful for Carrie Smith and for Sean Owens and for their uh, work in leading this and getting a lot of guys to show up. There were, uh, we'll just show some pictures quickly of workers. There were about 35 uh, to 40 workers here and some got here as early as six and some were here even working at four o'clock. And uh, it really was amazing the work that was done uh, when we see these different guys working. There were some uh, that really attacked their work like a weld in there. And, and then there were some that were uh, much more gentle uh, going in. <laughs> hey, did, look at this picture. Uh, you know those creepy senior pictures that are, are just kind of awkward? That's what Doug reminded me of there. <laughs> and, and that, that, uh, but uh, here, here are a few more guys. And uh, I want to focus in the guy right there in the middle. We appreciate everybody. But um, you may be looking at that and saying, now, wait a minute, was that guy really at work day? Because that's the same guy that a little bit less than a year ago, we announced his 90th birthday. I kid you not, Joe Morris was with clippers on the ground, out on that creek bank and dragging stuff out all morning. We were blown away. As a matter of fact, there was every decade of men working under 100 years old. Every decade under 100 years old. When I tell you it was a wonderful day, the thing that I kept hearing from different guys I passed by, they'd be like, this is just the best. We got to do this more often. This is awesome. 
We want to say a big thank you to everybody. Uh, if if homecoming is going to be anything like the workday, it's going to be an amazing time because it was one of the best enjoyable times. And we are thankful for everybody that came and worked yesterday. And we look forward to seeing what the next seven or eight days hold for us. Uh, we will probably have a prayer specifically about this tonight, but we want to be praying for South Sudan. Uh, you know, our, our brother Cluck prayed just a few moments ago about those that don't have the freedoms we have. This was an uh, actual picture taken by one of our members, uh, not our members, by uh, a member of the Lord's church, one of our brothers uh, in, in Christ. And uh, he took a picture of the rebel army marching through. They are now kidnapping uh, boys 15 years and older and men and forcing them to fight. Most of our brothers and sisters in Christ have safely escaped out of South Sudan at this time and they are, they've made it to Uganda and there's two large refugee camps there. And fortunately we have uh, churches, uh, we have churches in those camps. We have ministers that we support in those camps. And so they will be able uh, in their flight to identify uh, with, with other brothers and sisters in Christ and find refuge with the Lord there. And so we're thankful for that, but we want to be fervent in prayer for our brothers there uh, to, to think of such times as that. We've been studying marvels all year, and it's just appropriate that this month, as we think about us as a congregation being able to enjoy God's blessings of 125 years of existence, but in a part of a congregation that is a greater part of the Lord's kingdom that's been in existence for almost 2,000 years, it's a marvel. It's marvelous when we consider the work of God. And if we were going to list some of his greatest creations, one of the greatest creations of God is his church. I've said to you, and I'll probably say it several times this month. I don't understand why people don't love the church. I don't understand why when we look at one of God's greatest creations, people aren't just greatly in love with the church. I can't understand why people wouldn't just quickly say the church is one of the most important things in my whole life. If you're about 40 years old and under, you have probably heard most of your life to just follow your dreams. I don't know when this really became like the normal way to talk, but it's the idea that you can do anything you set your mind to do. And so I know that it's not meant this way, but the way it sometimes that line is crossed and in essence what it said is, hey, it's all about you. You just dream up whatever you want and if you don't get your way, you just be unsatisfied and you just complain and you just talk about how my life has no worth and no value because I had this dream and I didn't mean, well... Nowhere in the Bible does it tell you to follow your dreams. Nowhere in the Bible do we read that it's all about you. Nowhere in the Bible do we read that you can do anything you want to do. That's just kind of crazy talk to try to motivate people to do something. And there is a much more real approach to life that's so much richer it's such greater truth, such greater purpose. When instead of saying, I want to find life that's not about my dreams, I want to find life that's about God's dreams. What does God have planned? What does God offer in the future? 
And so when we think about church, the last five people you've heard talk about finding a church, what have you heard? Oh, we just want to find one that's convenient. I just want to find one that does a lot of things with my kids. I want to find one that has a lot of people my age. I want to find one that has people that has activities for me. I want to find, just fill in the blank. If you, if you just kept a record of, of the last five times you've heard people talk about church, what do they want to find? Well, it's just more of that mentality oftentimes. I know not all the time. But oftentimes it's just more of that mentality of, hey, it's all about me. It's all about my family. And so if I want to find a church, I'm going to make sure I find one that they know it's consumer driven. You want my attendance? You want my contribution? It's about me. What about if instead... We had a mindset that church was all about God. It's his church. What does he have planned? What does he have dreamed? What does he see in our future and even in our past? It's so marvelous and so wonderful. Today we'll study the first part of this lesson this morning. We'll complete this very same lesson tonight. We'll look at a few introductory passages, but the main thing that I want to see today are some things out of 1 Timothy, the second and the third chapter. But to get there, let's look at about three passages of introduction. The first one I want you to see is Matthew, the 16th chapter. You remember when the discussion was who were people saying that Jesus was? And Peter finally gives the answer saying who he believes Jesus is. And in verse 16, he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And in verse 18, Jesus said, I say to you that you are Peter and on this rock, and that rock is the confession that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. We're going to build, he says, I'm going to build my church on that rock. My church is going to be built upon the fact that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. Now that's real important because that tells us a few things. Number one, it's not our church. It's his church. I'll build my church. And the second thing is, it's really important because it tells us where his church is grounded. His church is grounded in Christ. Christ, you remember, tells us clearly, I am the truth. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. John 1, the first paragraph. You remember, he is the word. He is the word of God. The word of God was incarnated on this earth. Jesus was truth. His church is built on Jesus, on truth. Now, when we look, this is prophetic. Notice there, I will build. This is future tent. The church didn't exist. Like when people look back through the Old Testament and say, I want to do what the church did in the Old Testament. Hello, church didn't exist in the Old Testament. That was Judaism. That Orthodox Jews today, they gather in the synagogues on Saturday and they worship. That's Old Testament stuff. That's the religion of the Old Testament. And so if somebody says, I want to be like the Old Testament, well, you're saying, I don't want Christianity. I don't believe that Jesus Christ was Messiah. I don't believe that he ever came. I believe that whoever that Jesus was from Nazareth, I don't believe he was. That's what Judaism still practices today. So we look and say, okay, this was prophetic. Jesus was saying, I'm going to establish my church. At the time he said this, it didn't exist, but it was going too soon. He died, he was resurrected. 
40 days after he ascends into heaven, 10 days later, what happens? Acts, the second chapter happens. His church is established. Now, there are many things that we could point out here of great significance for this study, though, this morning. I want you to notice this. When it was preached about Jesus Christ being the Savior, those individuals wanted to know what they needed to do to be saved, and they were told. And now I want you to see in verse 41, then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. And then when we skip down the last half of verse 47, it says, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Now for just a moment, don't take for granted what seems like a small detail. It's anything but small. Who walked away that day still practicing Judaism? Because that, that day there were Jews gathered. And so that's, that's why I say that. So that day, who walked away still practicing Judaism? And who walked away saying, today I became a Christian? Well, there, there's a very clear dividing line. Notice again, verse 41. Those who gladly received his words. Peter stood up, inspired by the Holy Spirit, Peter and the rest of the apostles, and they preached the truth. Those that received the word that day obeyed it and were saved and became a part of the Lord's church. That's always a sequence. Those who did not believe the truth, did not obey the truth, did not become a part of the Lord's church. Are you listening? They did not become a part of the Lord's church, but they still were very religious, probably very sincere, and believed in God. Believed that God had given a word that was written. So that day, both parties left believing in God, very religious, but some left saved and a part of his church and others left not saved and are not a part of his church. What was the dividing line? What they did with the word that they were given. Some received it gladly and said, you know what? If that's the will of God, I'm going to obey it. And others received the word and said, I don't know about this. My parents didn't do that. My grandparents didn't do that. It's different from what I've always believed. I don't know if I want to do that or not. Follow your dreams or follow God's truth. Make it all about you or make it about God. When did God come up with this? I love that passage at the beginning of Ephesians, the first chapter. We're picking up in the middle of a sentence, but notice what he says in verse 4. Just as he chose us in him, when? Before the foundation of the world. This idea of redeeming mankind and, and, and adding them to his church. And notice that, that in, when we read on in verse 5, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ. All of this about being saved, about becoming part of the Lord's church, about becoming a part of his family. We are now his sons and daughters. All of this was in the dream of God. It was in the mind or the plan of God before he ever created the earth. Before Genesis 1, before Adam and Eve. All of this was God's plan. 
the church and religion is not an afterthought. It's not something that's minor or minute. This is so important to God that he had this plan before he ever made man. And then for us to treat it so self-centered or with so much apathy that it's like, well, just whatever's convenient. Well, whatever I feel like doing. I'm just kind of in a busy season of life. We just need to grab hold of ourselves and say, what am I thinking? One of the most marvelous works of God is his church. How can that not be important? And, and how can I treat it as if, oh, sure, God, you've created it over here, but I don't really care if I follow your plan. I'll just do some version of it. And so with that in mind, and, and, and I know we have the slides on the screen, that's fine, but if you'd like, I would love for you to open to 1 Timothy. I'd like for you to put your eyes on these two pages. 1 Timothy, the second and third chapter, is a passage that Paul writes to the elders of Ephesus. And when he writes this, it's easy to say about the second and third chapter that's about the leadership of the church. Uh, he talks about how he's got the plan for male leadership in the church. And then he even tells the characteristics that if men are, are going to be capable and qualified to serve as an elder, these are the characteristics they ought to have. And if they're going to serve as a deacon, these are the characteristics. But have you ever paused and, and just thought, why? What task is so important? that these men are needed in order to lead the work of the church to accomplish whatever this task is. What is the task? And last six months, year, in our men's class on Wednesday night, this became more clear to me in studying through as we studied together 1 Timothy it became more clear than it had ever been. And, and you know, uh, not that there is, is some uh, uh, great ironclad rule that if something has bookends around it, it, it has more substance or worth than a passage that doesn't have bookends. I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying to you, there's always something interesting to me when I study scripture and I see a point introduced and I see a point concluded and it's the same point. Well, that makes me think something said in between has to do with this point. And that's what I want you to see. And so a lot of time we go to these passages and we just study male leadership. But then you back up and say, what does he want this male leadership? And he gives an opening and a closing bookend to say what he wants this leadership to accomplish. Look with me, if you will, in the second chapter in verse three and four. Second chapter three and four. He just kind of interrupts this thought to make sure that we're clear on this. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Now pause there for just a moment. That is huge when God says, this is what I accept. Because that means there are other things that God doesn't accept. Remember Cain and Abel? One of the very first Bible stories that we have. The whole deal was he would not accept Cain's offering. He would accept Abel. 
And, and so we see that premise as we open the Bible, that there are things God accepts, there are things that he doesn't. So here's something that he's about to introduce that is good and acceptable in the sight of God. So the sentence continues into verse four. Who desires all men to be saved. Okay, so it's good and acceptable and God wants all men to be saved. But now how's he going to further speak of that? And to come to the knowledge of truth. In scripture, you'll never see those two things separated. Being saved and coming to the knowledge of truth. Who do you think is responsible in this congregation of making sure that individuals come to the knowledge of truth? God has firmly placed that responsibility upon leadership. And so for the next several verses, he's going to talk and reveal a plan and an organization that if men are going to desire the same thing that God desires for individuals to be saved and they would help individuals come to the knowledge of truth. And so... He talks about how he wants men everywhere leading prayers and that everywhere is talking, it's a technical use, talking about every congregation. He wants men leading the prayers. Uh, and, and also we see in 11 and 12, he doesn't want the women when it's the whole congregation gathered teaching or usurping authority. And then we go into the third chapter and we see the qualifications for elders. And then in verse eight, the qualifications for deacons. And then the very next verse, look at 14 and 15. These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly, but if I am delayed... I write so that you may know, see, we're back to that knowledge, that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself where? In the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. What is, what is the Lord's church? Now, I know in one sense, we, we could even say, who is the Lord's church and, and what does she do? Well, when we look at this very passage, Paul says, hey, I'd love to just run right over to Ephesus and I would like to talk to you, Timothy, and to the church family there at Ephesus and I'd love to explain all this, but I'm afraid I'm not going to be able to come for a while. So just in case I do get delayed, here's some things I want you to know. And he throws out, and look on this next slide. These are just quotes out of those verses. He says, I want you to know who you are. There's a certain conduct. There's a certain behavior because of who you are. You are the house of God. And the word house there is, is a word that's a family word. And, and then of God is a word of description of ownership. We are a family that belongs to God. You don't have a church. You can be a part of the Lord's church. Now, let me take that back. You could have a church. You could start your own church and you could start a brand new denomination. There are hundreds and thousands of them. But if we're doing things the right way, we don't have a church. We are just a part of the Lord's house. And then notice that next line. A little more description here. Who is that? It's the church of the living God. 
You know, the idea of church has to do with those people that have been called out. They have this, there's this assembly and we once were part of the world, but now we've been sanctified. You know, sanctified has to be set apart. Now we have been sanctified by the Lord. When we leave the world, we are saved and he adds us to his church. So we are the church that belongs to the living God, not the people that are still out in the world. But notice those next two descriptions there. The pillar and ground of truth. That's significant. Remember what we talked about in Acts 2? Which people became a part of the Lord's church that day? Those who gladly received His Word. Wait, wait, wait a minute. What did they receive? They received truth. In other words, their obedience grew out of truth. They became a part of the Lord's church that day because they accepted and obeyed truth. Now, that's the idea of grounded, what, what you're settled on. Remember Jesus said, upon this rock, I'll build my church upon that foundation, upon that grounding. The church always rises out of truth if it's the Lord's church. But then that church has a great responsibility. And remember, we're talking especially to the leadership here in 1 Timothy 3. What, does, what, what do they have to do? First, they have to make sure they're rising out of truth. But then they are pillars. The Greek word for that also comes from the idea of a post. We know what a post is. We know what a column is. We know what a pillar is. It's, it's that that supports something. So we've got this beam up here and, and you know what? If we don't get a support, it's going to sag and it's going to fall. Let's, let's put a pillar under it. God says we need someone who's going to take the truth to the Mount Juliet community. We need somebody that's going to take the truth to the whole world. And God says, well, I've, I've got a, a plan for that. That's what the church does. The church is the pillar. The church is what continually supports and holds up truth. If someone could come and be a part of us, and all we do is talk about self-help, and if all we do is talk about how let's just feel good with each other, and if all we do are motivational talks, and we have not held up the truth. We have ceased being the Lord's church. The Lord's church is grounded and is the pillar. Grounded on truth and is the pillar that holds up truth. I really thought we'd get a little further before we had to finish tonight. I want to drop down several slides and we're going to close that slide right before what did I learned today. What happens if people stop obeying the truth? And tonight we're going to come back and look at this in a real direct way. And our teens had an opportunity to hear a lesson rooted in this same way that we're going tonight, even in their teen VBS, and we'll talk about that tonight. But, but I want you to just pause with me, and I beg you to come back tonight for the study of God's Word on this. And, and 
What happens if people stop obeying the truth? But, but now are you listening? They do it in such a large number. What if millions, what if billions stop obeying the truth? If billions stop obeying the truth, can't we then just say, well, it must not really be important or billions of people wouldn't be wrong. So now is truth not important anymore if billions of people don't do it? Or what about if you say, it's, people haven't followed it for such a long period of time. It's been a hundred years. It can't really matter if people haven't followed it for a hundred years. Or what about if we can say with honesty, like it's an accurate statement, but yet they're so sincere or I'm so sincere. I mean, it can't be such a big deal if I'm really so sincere about it. What about that? Tonight, let's look at some biblical example. And let's give some real fervent thought to that. But as we close, I'd like to ask you, what'd you learn today? Number one, I've learned that the Lord's church rises out of truth. Number two, I've learned that the Lord's church is responsible to teach only truth. If we fail that, we have failed in a horrible fashion. Number three, I learned that a distinguishing characteristic of the Lord's church is that it only follows the Lord's will. And the Lord's will is truth. Tonight, we will begin with the idea of what's the difference in reformation and restoration. And what are we really trying to restore? I hope today there's something that's been said that will be useful. I hope by the time we conclude our study tonight, we'll have completed a, a thorough study at, at least the best we can in, in an hour's time. Here's my personal plea to you. There's a lot of things said every week by good people about church that just isn't true. It's just not. And I just want to ask you this morning, which one are you going to follow? Are you going to follow what the Lord says? Are you going to follow something just because so many people follow it or so many people believe it or it's what you've always believed? As the month goes on, we'll try to develop this a little bit more. If it intrigues you and you're a guest, we hope that you'll come back. If there's questions that you have, we'd love to sit down and, and answer them with you. We don't claim to have a greater sincerity than other religious people. We don't claim to do more earthly works than other religious people. Our plea, our plea is, let's go back and restore the truth. Because in doing that, the Lord's church always arises. If you're ready to become a Christian this morning, be immersed into Christ. If you're ready this morning to be restored. If there's anything that we can do to help you come as we stand, as we sing.